So I get up and I, I, I slip into some boots and grab my shotgun and fumble around, get a shell and put in it. And I hide in the shadows. And this vehicle pulls up to the gate, which is about 100 yards away. And then the lights go out. So I'm standing there in the shadows, in my underwear, in my <laughs> boots, with my shotgun, and wondering what's about to happen. This segment of DoD TV is brought to you by Mossy Oak. Welcome everybody to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Tim Chelswick. I'm Matt Drury. And we're powered by your hat. Deercast. I mean Deercast. That's right. So. It's a cool hat. Hey, thanks. It's, uh, we, I, you know, I, I'm always trying to find like new hats or shirts or hoodies or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, I was going through this process of this uh, Richardson 112, which is like the hat that everybody says cool fits hat. the best, right? So I put a, a story up on Instagram to see which one people like because I had two different designs, the offset and the front. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in a uh, real uh, conundrum because Mark says he likes the front. I like the front, but pretty overwhelmingly, most people like the offset. So. Yeah. Could, I'm, I'm in offset camp. I could just get what I want <laughs> to actually have it because I got the sample. Yeah, so, I mean, go with the offset then. <laughs> yeah. We're covered. So get one for Mark and everyone's happy. Offset it is. This is episode 100, 211. Don't shard us, man. We've been doing this a long time. Don't get rid of a whole hundred episodes. <laughs> we, we need uh, all the help that we can get. Actually start lying about it. It's number 300. <laughs> we, um. So we've got Bobby Cole on from Mossy Oak. He's the president of Mossy Oak Biological. We call him Bobby Logic. He's the man. He's the dude. And he's a novelist. And he's a, he's a renaissance man. That's right. Let's just have him on because I want to talk about that right there. Why don't we do that? All right. Bobby Cole, how's it going, buddy? I'm doing well. I, I'm just laughing at you guys over there trying to decide about hat styles. <laughs> We're slaves to fashion. That's right. Look at us. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby, you're one of my favorite guys in the entire world, not just the industry, but the world, because no matter what we've ever asked from you, whether it was dream season judging or biologic, uh, you know, last bite segments or whatever it may be, Bobby's always quick to jump and say, yep, I'll do whatever you need to do. He always drives up from down and oh, where are you at? Mississippi? Mississippi, yeah. And he drives up here, the eight hour drive or whatever it is and never hesitates to say, I'm in. He's That's rare. our kind of guy. Nice as can be. Even to you. And that takes, that says a lot. <laughs> he's, he's doing something. Well, we, we all always feed me well. No, donuts, uh, maybe well, a granola I, bar. <laughs> well, no, I'm thinking about those steaks. If, the, if there's several little restaurants y'all always take us to that are just outstanding. That's right, man. Well, we got to take care of you because we're not paying you. So at the very <laughs> at least, least like, the man. at least feed you something good. <laughs> So, so the the working title for the show is planning planting a successful season. So we know people are thinking now about food plots and That's what right. you do the, over the summertime is going to impact your fall and how that looks and your success rate. So there's no one else that we'd rather have on than Bobby to, to talk about that. That's right. And I'm you know as much as we're going to dive into that, like I like just shooting the breeze with Bobby. Like that's the the part I was looking forward to having him on. Like you said, he's novelist. Like how many books are you up to now? Five? Yeah, it's, it's five. Yeah. Jeez. And every one of them is as good as the next or better. I mean, it's that. So that's the first one, the dummy line. And yeah. when I'm telling you, like I read that thing in two days, like it's every one of these books, you just can't put them down. Once you dive into them, they're thrillers, all of them. I started in on this one last night. Yeah. So, so Tim really, he knew you, you know, you wrote, you wrote these, these novels, but he didn't know, you know, he hadn't had a chance to read any of them I yet. I heard there were no pictures in it. So that kind of was an obstacle <laughs> yeah. for me. So I, I got a stack here. So I said, Hey, take the dummy line, at least read a you know chapter or two. I promise you, once you dive into it, you're going to get like sucked into this thing. And, and, uh, you know, it's one of those things where they're all kind of hunting well not all totally hunting related but the first one definitely is and you get sucked in and it's like man i could picture 
this and what's happening here. And it, when I read it, I just think of Bobby as the, the uh, main, sure. you know, the main guy, Jake. I just think of Bobby. I don't know why, <laughs> but I, I just, that also makes it fun for me to read these yeah, things. You know, the author, you yeah. know, the mind that it came out. Yeah. Of. So I, you know, just dive into that a little bit. Like, why did you get into this? What was the passion or what kind of spurred writing the first one? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I've always enjoyed reading, and it, it, and um, you know, ever since I was little, kind of started off with where the red fern grows, oh, and, and, and those kind of books as a kid, and, and but just kept growing up reading, and um, and then one night I was actually turkey hunting at this property that uh, that this kind of is referenced in that story, the dummy line, and I had Jesse with me, and she was I don't know five or six, seven years old, and we were staying in this old dilapidated camper that i had i mean it was really rough and during the middle of the night i had a just a a, a terrible nightmare I, I the chapter six in that story that you're about to read to him i dreamed it so i got up i woke up and i was just wringing wet with sweat my heart was racing and i can remember touching her sleeping bag and she was asleep there and everything was fine and i realized i'd had a nightmare so i opened up the the door to the camper and I sat out, sat outside and was drinking a Coke and just kind of just thinking about how realistic that was. And in the dream, somebody drove up to the camp, some redneck thugs to rob the camp. You know, there's, there's a lot of valuable stuff usually at a hunting camp that can oh, be yeah. sold, pawned or whatever. And so I dreamed that somebody drove up to the camp that night. And so while I'm sitting there and I'm actually kind of sitting in my boxers, just sitting on the step, I start hearing the gravel pop and I can see headlights coming through the woods. And this is at one o'clock at night of somebody driving down the road, coming to the camp for real. So I'm thinking this is deja vu. The dream was you had a like, premonition. yes. So I get up and I, I, I slip into some boots and grab my shotgun and fumble around, get a shell and put in it. And I hide in the shadows and this vehicle pulls up to the gate, which is about a hundred yards away. And then the lights go out. So I'm standing there in the shadows, in my underwear, in my <laughs> boots, with my shotgun, and wondering what's about to happen. And you can imagine just everything that's going through your, your mind, you know. So after about 15 minutes, I, nobody comes down the road. So I, I decided I'm going to sneak up to the gate and see what's going on. And when I get up to the gate, the windows are all fogged up, and there's some yeah. music like Matt likes to listen to, kind of thumping <laughs> in the background. And I realize what's going on. And uh, you know, I, I thank goodness they didn't turn on their lights because that probably would have scared them to death with me standing there with a shotgun. But, $200, so $200. The camper, and I just remember thinking how, you know, this could really happen. A guy could get robbed at the camp, and that's that gave the next day. I just started writing the story. So, jeez, that's how it started. Isn't that crazy? What what would be interesting if if uh, the young people that were in the car ever knew that they kicked off a series of novels because of their <laughs> their little encounter? <laughs> yeah, that, no, I don't think they're. I'm just thankful they didn't flip on their lights. They probably scared all of us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh. but. That you, I'm telling you, you pick up this book and, and Bobby, where, where is it available? Because it's not just a hard copy. You can get it online, right? Like Amazon prime and stuff like that. Yeah. Amazon's the best, probably the best place to get it. And they've got audio versions and electronic versions and it's not very expensive at all. And I'm telling you, you pick it up and you just cannot put it down. So summer's coming. If anybody's got a, their, their spouse is making them take a vacation somewhere and you're going to be like, I'm bored as hell. Yeah, I'm telling you, <laughs> take something. this book. You'll read it to get, buy two of them because you're going to go through it. It's there. Everyone is just as good. And you're kind of following along. How many are, I don't remember exactly. Cause it's been a few years, but are all five of them around the main around Jake or just the first few. And then you kind of branch off into other characters from some of those. Is that how it goes? Yeah, there's three with Jake. Yeah. And so that's the dummy line, Moon Underfoot, and Old Money. And then the rented mule and silent approach are standalone stories. Mm. So so tell us about why you call it the dummy line, because I found that interesting as well. Well, um on this particular property, it's several thousand acres and there's this long, straight road that goes through it. I mean, it's straight as it can be. 
and it goes across this property and properties on either end. And it's just always called, it was always called the dummy line. And I, you know, it, it was just for years of hunting there. I never really knew what it, what it was, but literally from Maine to Texas, all over back in the turn of the century, when they were uh, logging areas, real remote areas, they would build temporary train lines. So it might be, they would set up a railroad oh. that would go from one end of a property to a loading deck and it might be several miles long. And then when they finished logging the area, that was the most efficient way to get the logs out. And it, it was called a dummy line because it didn't go anywhere. And then when they finished, they would take up the tracks and they would leave this long bed wow. that was like a road there. And there's properties, I mean, that were all over the the country um, with dummy lines on them. And I didn't realize this until I wrote the story and people started emailing me and contacting me saying, hey, we have a dummy line here. And there's cool. here, a lady sent me a sign that says, uh, I don't know if I can turn my throw it up there. So yeah. I think she stole it somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> stole it from but, uh, sure, Bobby. There's a lot of them. That's cool, man. I, you know, I, I hate to get confrontational, especially this early in, in a show. I found <laughs> one inaccuracy in the book. Early on, it says, Matt, you're the best. <laughs> he's got my copy. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> so just. Well, I didn't say what he's the best at. You know? Well, good point. Could be the best at the soundboard. <laughs> nice job. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> well, we've got some mixed, mixed shout outs today from our audience. Mm. So, Bobby, we always do a couple shout outs at the front end. And so, Bobby's got his own podcast before we jump into the shout outs. Tell the people real quick about your podcast. Yeah, well, it's not mine. It's the Gamekeepers. It's yours. Podcast. And so we try to have one every week. We're just following it. I mean, you guys have done such a great job. And it just, it, it's a great vehicle for us to explain how to do different things, you know, um, of managing properties and whatnot. So that's kind of what ours is about. It's, but uh, with Gamekeepers, we're about deer, ducks, turkeys upland birds, managing a pond. So we're pretty broad. So the podcast gives up us a platform to be able to one week talk about managing a pond and one week talk about food plots, with, you know, protein feed. It's, it's very versatile. Uh, but does it have any fart sounds? That we, we don't have any of that yet. No, but I mean, that's where we're going to be. You have something to learn yet. Yeah. <laughs> How do you got want some big shoes to fill, Bobby. <laughs> So he's going to go back to a workshop meeting. He's like, guys, I really think we need more farts on this show. The pond stuff is great, but we need more farts. That's right. Austin. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to dance around, you know, talking about food plots here, but you want the good, good info. Like a real a re show. A real show about it. Check them out. Probably check out Game first. <laughs> they know what they're doing. All right. So shout out number one, Eric Tyndall on DeerCast. Uh, talking about the Dale Beatty show says, you know, the best way to end racism, stop talking about it. Morgan Freeman. He's any, calling you Morgan Freeman. I, <laughs> any questions of race on this page is completely unacceptable. Wildlife doesn't care what your race is. So why is it a topic on a hunting site? So it sounds like Eric's got an ax to grind. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the, the interest, the ironic thing is, is that we agree with Eric. Like we don't think race has anything to do with hunting. And that was the conclusion of yeah. the show. We're two white guys. We're saying that it's, it's interesting to hear that come from Dale, Dale who is black. My guess is Eric may not have actually listened or watched the podcast. He just saw your headline on it and just decided now it's my headline gonna put it well you're right <laughs> so i don't <laughs> so my guess is maybe you didn't watch the whole thing i'm guessing so too that's what our next shout out uh sur surmises also this is clint pride which is an awesome name from youtube Country he singer. says race doesn't matter to them either and he's talking about you and i uh did you watch it trying to expand the industry so hunting doesn't die out altogether they also talked about kids and women we need more hunters. Which was the point of the podcast. It's like, hey. Thank you for listening, Clint. Yeah. It's like, hey, what do we need to do to continue to grow numbers or to actually start growing numbers because they're in a rapid decline? And race is one big element. We always talk about women and children joining mm -hmm. outdoors. You don't talk much about other races. I'm not just talking about African-Americans. It's any other race. Like there's yep. plenty of other, you know, fish in this pond. So mm -hmm. that was kind of the point that maybe 
Eric may have missed. Uh, we need more people and maybe invite someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. And and it sounds different when different people say it from different backgrounds. Yeah. So, but we're all on the same page. That's the important part. That was the uh, that was the conclusion. All right. So, Bobby. All right. Summer food plots. <laughs> That's right. Well, so so right now, a lot of people in the Midwest, I'm sure we're not alone here, but a lot of people are spraying food plots or spraying potential food plots or, you know, I know that many people just planted their corn or their beans or a lot of rain came through in the last couple of weeks. So people all over the country are scrambling to get in their food plots before the rain, because as you know, usually once May ends, it seems like the rain just stops <laughs> until about September. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I think everybody kind of knows those basic things, but what what's maybe something that isn't as talked about that people should really be preparing for right now are doing right now and getting ahead for our fall food plots. Well, that's a good point, uh, Matt. Uh, so, you know, it's very important to get your soil in the best health that it can be. It, it's, it's really such a, an important factor that oftentimes people overlook that. So at this time of year, I would highly encourage guys to pull a soil sample. And we've got a little lab that you can use so, so many different places, but uh, but it's, it's normally less than 10 bucks to send in your dirt and have it analyzed. And so like at, at plantbiologic.com, you can click on the soil test and then you can write on it, hey, I'm gonna plant soybeans or I'm gonna plant uh, clover. And then the soil test will come back to you and say, you need uh, to add this much fertilizer to grow the clover and it'll, it'll give you three different options of fertilizer that'll work and it'll also tell you your ph and ph is real important and it'll tell you how much lime you need and lime takes months to dissolve or for the soil to actually digest it so now's the time to be liming your food plot especially since it's if it's dry you can get in there with a lime buggy or a small lime cart, or, or, you know, you can do it by hand. I've recently, just in the last week, done one with just a little push spreader, just because it's what I only option I had at the time. But now's the time to be doing the soil test. Now's, now's the time to be applying lime and getting your dirt in the shape that it needs to be in for the fall. Bobby, does it ever make sense to invert that process? Because, you you know, you're talking about um, figuring out what you want to plant and then do the soil test and then figure out what you need to do to condition the soil to get it favorable for what you're going to plant. But is there ever a scenario where someone does a soil test, they get the results, then should figure out what they should plant? Well, you know, um, most people kind of have a general idea of what they want to plant. So then that soil test can kind of, it, it helps you say, well, this is what you need to grow that crop. Mm -hmm. But I guess in some cases it might come back and you've got like, say a really, really high peak soil pH. And that might, if, you know, lead you to say, well, I can't plant, you know, some of these other crops. Maybe I'm going to just plant alfalfa or sandfoin or something that likes a real high pH. But that's really kind of, Tim, that it, that doesn't happen very often, I don't think. I always I think ask one bad question every show, so that least. was it. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Be prepared for more. <laughs> so what could you overline? Can you over-fertilize? Can you overdo those things? Yeah, you, you certainly can. And so... Uh, most most soils, Matt. Like if you, you know, you've got some property that you hunt there around St. Louis, and so if you went into a new area and dished it up and pulled a soil sample and sent it in, it's probably going to be a little acidic. It's probably going to need some lime. Just most places do, but uh, but you could actually put too much lime on there, and then it would push it over seven. And in, in a perfect world, you want that pH to be between 6.5 and 7, 7 being neutral. And when it's less than 6.5 to 7, it it makes it more difficult for the soil to red, make the nutrients readily available to the plant. So it, it binds them up. But if you go over 7, it can bind them up, uh, uh, bind up a whole different set of minerals. So it's really important to follow the instructions on the soil test. Does that affect... <clears throat> not only growth of the whatever you plant, but does it affect the palatability for the whitetail? It could. Yeah, it certainly can. We see when that 
when that pH is right in that look and, and, and Matt, you've gotten, I've been watching you through the years. You've gotten a lot better. I remember when you first started, at, 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 we, you know, food platform, but, you know, it's, you it's, not, it's not easy. You got to no. put it to the work. You know, I got but, better. I got better help because I still <laughs> suck at it. <laughs> Pre yeah, <Scott>. but, <laughs> yeah it's dad, not easy. Your dad and Mark are two of the best. Yeah. And it's because I, I, I would promise you they're pulling soil tests and they're, and they're going by what it recommends. They've got somebody that's that they're going to the farm store and, and showing it to them. And that, and somebody's saying, okay, here's exactly what you need to do. And when you follow those instructions, it just makes everything so much better. And when it, the plot's fertilized correctly and that pH is right and the, the way all of our blends are designed, they're, they're highly palatable and you just see it just perform. And all of a sudden you've got this green glowing food plot in the fall winter woods and it's just attracting everything there and they just <clears throat> eat it down to dirt and turds and you know you're nourishing your deer herd and you're attracting deer from the neighbors and you all these does are showing up and they're dragging bucks you've never seen before uh you, you know it's just a it really works fantastic I, I think Tim and I both picked up on one saying there, and I want to dive into the green food plot in a second, but I've never heard it called dirt and turds before. I've never heard either. Sounds, I'm glad you called that out. Sounds like something that me and my son would giggle about <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I'm going to, or something he would call us his sister. <laughs> you're dirt and turds. <laughs> I'm going to use that. But no, you're a hundred percent right. Because, you know, even like last year, was a perfect example that I could visually see with my own eyes. We, you know, the river farm that we had the first two years was flooded. We planted it and then flood. Well, last year didn't flood. And we, you know, we planted it, did the soil samples and, you know, made sure it was all, you know, correct. Mm -hmm. And it was unbelievable how, the tonnage that it produced. And it was just a sea of green. Look good. And, yeah. and it pulled in every buck that was in the area. I mean, it was in the world in the world <laughs> and it was incredible. Our hunts, you know, we basically abandoned the lease last year because <laughs> yeah. the food plots made the river farm so palatable and so attractive that it was a fun season. Sure. Like it was really a game changer for us. So it's like, okay, man, if we can, there's something to this, which it had fantastic soil down there in the, the, oh, you yeah, know, the Mississippi bottom river bottom. Yep. Yeah. But in general, it was, really really cool to see because there was no other food for them any mm -hmm. anywhere close sure. not not a lot neighbors had a little bit but in general i had all green neighbors had grain that's perfect and uh it was pretty amazing the footage that we got out of uh, last year and a couple good kills and mm -hmm. it was just a fun season and the biologic or you know of planting a food plot made all the difference for Heck us yeah. yeah and so you know i'm i'm just the thing about a food plot, it, and you've got to have, you need to have a, a large enough area that they just don't eat it down. And don't giggle when I say this, Matt, but down to dirt. You want to have something left. And it missed, and that usually takes at least an acre or larger. The, you know, a two or three acre plot is even, is, you know, it's just, it's just so much better. But when you can do that and you're back in at, at the studio working, three or four days and that plot's out there it's working for you it's attracting deer and it's yeah. nourishing them and they get used to coming there and they'll come earlier and earlier every, as the weather starts getting colder and worse they just know that that's a that's a place that they go to feed yeah. and then if you only go in there and hunt when you've got that wind just right and everything is just perfect then and you don't ever spook them it just becomes a destination for them and then to add to that, one of the things that we like to do are these spring and summer food plots, like planting soybeans and or spring protein peas or, or clover, depending on where you are in the spring. But then those mama deer are training their babies to go to that area to feed all summer long. And it just it just makes an impression on them. And then you'll you'll turn that back into a fall winter food plot that they just continue to use. So. Basically, you're just training those deer on your farm. That this is where we go to feed. And you just would, you know, just limit that pressure that you put on them. And it, it just becomes a place where you can pop in there and just see deer. It, it, see them in the mornings, actually. Yeah. See them in the middle of the day. It, it works. I found that they were betting closer and closer to it. And they just pop out. Like, that was a thing. You never kind of knew when 
it was tough to get back to some of the food plots because you were walking through, you know, they, they'd be right off the edges, yeah. you know, and you have to really be slow, quiet and, and try to be as early as possible. Well, that hunt where Scott killed, I mean, you guys were in the stand for 15 minutes. <laughs> maybe. Tops, yeah. Maybe. And it happened it wasn't, quick. Wasn't far. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bobby, I, I'm wondering about soil tests. If, if you do one, let's say you do one this year, do you have to do one in the next three? Like how, how much can the soil change year to year? What's a good pace for that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, as, as a rule of thumb, you can get about three, you can, you, one soil test would kind of guide you for a couple of years, but Tim, they're, you know, they're $8. So it, you might as well, you know, probably just called you a tight ass. Day. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, so they're not real expensive and you can just see exactly what it is you need to do. And, and, and add it to, you know, exactly that much. It's actually the cheapest part of the whole equation. Actually, the, the seed and the soil test are the cheapest part of the whole equation. Fertilizer is pretty expensive. And then your time and, and, and you know, securing a tractor to go do all yeah. that. But the one thing that I'd like to point out, though, that we see guys make this mistake all the time is they'll plant a food plot and put a shooting house on it and then that Saturday comes around. It doesn't matter which direction the wind's blowing out of. They're going to go hunt that food plot and you just can't do that every saturday it, you're going to just blow it out you know you've got to be smart about it and if your deer are coming from a certain direction you've got to you got to know about that and i think you guys have, have got got some some partners that can help you with some of that that scent problem um if but, only there was an app to tell you when to go yeah that, 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 that's right and the deer cast is great at that so so, oh, but I'm just, stuff. I'm just trying to caution guys that just because you've got this great food plot, you're actually better off to not hunt the, 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 the um, less amount of time that you actually spend there, the better it's going to be. That's a hundred percent. And that's what we've started seeing just on, on the properties where I hunt. It's like, okay, so what helped me out the most was having a cell cam finally last yeah. year. And it's like, oh man, you know, it was kind of telling the story for me. Whereas we'd go and we'd go and, you know, you'd have a lot of sits that nothing happened. And even with great conditions or good wind or whatever, but once we get the cell cameras, we we figured out. I say nothing. You'd see does or young bucks or whatever, but not the, the hit lister. And uh, it's like, oh, he's not around yet. And then as soon as he showed up, it's like, okay, now I yeah. should start hunting him, which made a big difference last year. And not only just efficiency of your time, but the the pressure you're putting on your piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, yeah. I, and I think, Bobby, what you're hitting on is the psychological aspect. Last year was the first year I actually had food plots, and I just wanted to see deer on my, I didn't care what, what they yeah. were. I just wanted the gratification of seeing deer on those food plots mm-hmm. feeding. That's, it's just cool to see that like, Hey, it's working. They're coming to something that I, I that did I this. Yeah. I helped. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and even when the situations aren't, aren't right for being there, it was kind of a, a crutch. Yeah. Well, think about this, Tim, like, so like one of our products, like final forge or maximum, any of those that have a lot of the, those biologic brassicas in them, you can, if it's well fertilized, you get it with pH right. I mean, take, think about looking at some of the stuff that, that Terry and Mark have grown. You've seen those great big plants. We're looking at growing eight to 10 tons of forage per acre. My old dog just woke up. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey, you got a visitor. <laughs> so, so, eight to 10 tons of forage per acre. So, if you've got several acres of food plots that are performing at a high level, you're growing a lot of groceries that, you can feed your deer herd and it will be attractive to the, uh, to pull in deer from your neighbors as well. So, I mean, if you think about going and buying 10 tons of feed, that's pretty expensive. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Bobby, a lot of guys, including myself are hunt more timber and are kind of limited on like, we don't have big fields to put in plots. Are, are there solutions for guys like us? Yeah. That, and there, there is. And, um, you know, we've got a, a product called Hotspot that you can actually kind of, it's kind of designed for if you don't have a big spot or, uh, or you've got a little, maybe there's an opening, maybe a tree has fallen in the, in the, in the canopy. There's a, allowing a little sunlight to get through mm-hmm. that you can go in there in like late September, October, when the leaves have started falling 
And Tim, you could take a rake and rake them back. You could take a, a blower and blow the leaves back, but just try to expose some bare soil and this hot spot. You'll, you can just toss it out on top of the ground and put a little fertilizer on top of it. That's important. And, um, and so you can kind of create you a little hot spot that nobody else knows about down in your timber, but it, you've kind of got to wait till those leaves start coming off the tree so that sunshine can come down mm-hmm. to it. Sure. And the, the, the plants are designed to be planted later in the year. You guys want to plant. I know, Matt, y'all are planting y'all's food plots in August. Yeah. But this particular product I'm talking about, would you would probably want to wait till late September to put it out. And how long would it take then <laughs> for that to germinate and be? Oh, just really fast. Once it's got a rain on it, the, uh, you, if it rained, if you planted it on a Saturday and it rained on Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, it, you, it would have a green five o'clock shadow across it the next Saturday. No dirt and turds. <laughs> you know, another option, my, my buddy of mine just did this, Logan. He he bought a, a new piece of property, a home site. This is where he lives. And on it, it's like seven acres. Yeah. And uh, so he cleared out. It was just a grown up. I mean, it's in the timber, but it was a real grown up area. And he busted his butt and cleared it out and, you know, chainsaws and, you know, and, and just a lot of saplings and stuff like sure. that in there. And he planted uh, clover uh, this spring and he sent me a picture. He hadn't gone in there for a month or so. And uh, he he's like, man, I'm just dying to see it. And I kept telling him to wait and wait and wait. And then we got all that rain. Mm-hmm. I said, go in there. I guarantee you that blue. He showed me a picture. It was freaking amazing. What And this is just all stuff he did by hand. Just blood, sweat, and tears getting yeah. it in there. And he carved out a little, you know, maybe it's a quarter acre. Huh. But he's already seeing tons of tracks, Sweet. tons of turds. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I want. Turkey feather. You know, I mean, like it's, it's the point of what he wanted there. Yeah. And now he's going to have a little spot. Huh. I told him, I said, your biggest problem is since it's next to your house, you know, close to your house, you're going to have to really work to stay out of that thing, mm, you know, because sure. you could really, you know, just be there all the time because it's right about your back door. But uh, it, it was amazing. I was really impressed how, how what he built out of nothing there. Yeah. And and, and then that'll just keep coming back year yeah. after year. Uh Bobby, the the hot spot is that will that come back or is that kind of a one year? No, that's that's an annual uh, okay. Tim. You'll have to plant it every year. Uh but it, and then that's kind of so you know everything there's annuals and there's perennials and an annual knows it's only got a short life. So it tries to produce as much forage as it can in a short window of time. And that's a good thing. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. And uh so but you know Clovers are perennials and they're slower growing. Clover sleeps and then it leaps, and but it might last four, five, six years. But the, in in the scenario that we just described, that hot spot in the woods, and I'll also mention that if you can, like Matt's friend was doing, if you can take a chainsaw and just open up maybe a few, tr- let a few trees fall, so that a little, the more sunshine can get down into that little area, the better it will be. Hmm. Bobby, this also the time of year where guys are starting to cut their clover, you know, starting to mow. Yeah. How high do you need to leave your deck? You know, basically, you know, you don't want, do you want to cut the tops off or you're just trying to cut above the tops and get the weeds cut? Like what, what's the best principle there? Yeah. You want to kind of cut the, the top off the clover. So when the clover and it is, the the rule of thumb is when it's a, when you think 75% of the plants are blooming, you'll see a lot of blooms out there. So you'll want to go and just kind of mow those tops off. And so you'll leave your clover at about 10 inches tall, depending on how t- tall yours is, maybe a foot tall, maybe eight inches tall, but, but you're just mowing that top off of it. So when the plants go into producing, when they're flowering, they've kind of transitioned into seed production and they aren't as palatable at that point. And, so you've got weeds trying to compete. And when if you'll go in there and mow it, it, it'll help with those weeds and it'll kind of make the plants be more kind of forage, go back to forage production rather than seed production because they're going to come back from their roots. So if you only have, a, say, because I know a lot of guys, maybe it's they got a zero turn mower or something like that and they don't have an actual tractor brush hog set up, like, you know, or, or even a pull behind one of those pull behind motors that, or, or uh, mowers yeah. that, that go behind your side by side. What, you know, it, I don't know that you can get 10 inches tall on some of that stuff. Can you, can you go too short? Like what would be like your, oh crap, I'm too short range. It's four inches, yeah, six you- inches or... 
Yeah, you could scalp it if you're not careful. And also, um, when to mow is important. If you're like right now where we are in Mississippi, it's uh, when you pull up your your uh, the weather, it's just says sunshine and 90 degrees for the next seven days. So it would not be a great time to mow it because it's it's gonna it's gonna be kind of stressing. So, but if you knew there was some rain in the next few days that could kind of help it rebound, you could mow ahead of that rain. So, so but you know, I, 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 you don't want to scalp it down, man. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have the right equipment, you'd be better off to not do anything than huh. than go scalp. Okay. And, and in that scenario that you just described, there's chemicals that a guy can buy that, uh, like, so clover is a broadleaf in a legume and you can buy chemicals that you could hell on a chemical is a great company to go to ask for advice but you tell them hey i've got clover i've planted some biologic non-typical white ladino clover i've got grass in it and they'll sell you a product i, I always mispronounce it but i think it's called clefidem yeah you can spray it with a little surfactant i think it's about 16 ounces to an acre but don't you know don't quote me on that but um, so that'll kill the grass that's growing up in it. And then they have another product that you could spray that if you've got broadleaf weeds. So a guy can buy a backpack sprayer and some chemicals, and he can control a lot of the weeds that he might have. Hmm. Is there a best time and, of day to any, mow? Any kind of sprayer. Sure. Bobby, is there a best time of day to mow if you got clover and you got to go out and cut it? You know, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, uh, Stump the body. I don't know that it matters, to be honest with you. I always ask one good question, too, during a show. <laughs> that wasn't it. Oh, man. <laughs> I keep trying. So, I don't know that it matters, but if you're spraying, you, that probably matters. If it's windy or, you know what I mean? Like, you could probably do a little damage to the farmer's crops there if you're not careful. Yeah, you wouldn't want to do it on a windy day. And you uh, you probably wouldn't want to do it first thing when the dew is still on the um, on the plant. So, Probably middle of the day there, but Dan, you're absolutely right about watching the wind because you can get some drift going. Yeah. Hmm. Our uh, question of the day is right up Bobby's alley. Oh, is it? All right, well, let's get into it. The question of the day is probably brought to you by Plano Cases. Protect your passion with Plano. Hi, Matt and Tim. I My question is, we got this hunting land that used to be a junkyard. I want to put a food plot in it, but I do not know what I have to do with the ground to make sure that the chemicals from the cars are not going to disturb our food plot. That's an interesting scenario. So a piece of property that was formerly a junkyard with old cars on it, now it's his hunting ground. How does he even begin to condition the soil? Yikes. Because who knows what's leached into it? Yeah, I, I don't know. It, you know, I would I would plow it and and disc it up and soil test it and just see. But I, I would imagine a lot of that stuff. Um, you know, I guess you're dealing with gas and oil and maybe antifreeze. Uh, um, that that kind. Of, I just don't know how much would be there. But it, I, I think he's just going to roll up his sleeves and try it and see. He probably doesn't want to get any governmental agencies involved in that. <laughs> Make a super fun site. <laughs> yeah, he just wants to do it himself. And 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 nature is a wonderful healer, and you know has a way of taking care of itself. So I, I would I would like to think that whatever damage may have been done, that nature has a way of healing itself, and it might be it it might surprise him how good it'll actually be. Probably important to know Bobby's range. He just uttered the phrase, nature is a wonderful healer. Also, dirt, dirt and turds. <laughs> you got range, brother. <laughs> He's a novelist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dean, I hope that helps you out, man. Uh, good luck hunting the former junkyard. Yeah. I mean, that's a cool. I mean, I'd like to see the progress report on that, though. I mean, that that would be a really cool story. You know, he's, he mm -hmm. obviously would have a lot of work ahead of him to, to clean it up. But who's to say he can't uh, create an awesome little mecca there? Yeah, the junkyard buck. Junkyard dog. Kill a buck like that. Uh, it's now time for the wildlife word segment. So hold on to your hats, everybody. 
It's brought to you by Tracker Off-Road, made with the know-how of American workers, built for those who love the outdoors. Get all your summer prep work done with the power and dependability of Tracker Off-Road. Okay, we got a hypothetical this week. A, let's say a doe has triplets. What's the maximum number of fathers that could have sired that batch of fawns? A, one buck. B, two bucks, C, three bucks, or D, really none of our business girl likes to get around. $200 is $200. Can't argue with that. <laughs> How many daddies could there be in a batch of triplets? You mean like his cadangle don't work? It did. <laughs> Bobby, what do you think? Well, I, I do know that with twins, they can have separate fathers. But I've never, I've never heard about triplets and separate fathers. But I'm thinking if twins can have separate fathers, that triplets could as well. That's what she said. So, <laughs> so Bobby's going with C, three. <laughs> Matt graciously lets the guests go first always. I don't know. I, I'm going to go with, uh, uh, I'm going to go with two. Okay. Well, Bobby is the winner here. Ding, ding. Uh, it is three. Yeah, there has been research that shows that. In, in fact, I, I read of a rare case where a, a doe potentially had six fawns and they could all have different daddies. Jeez. Oh. You and my dad decided that your mom was really hot. It's a jungle out there, man. <laughs> Y'all got a bunch of good sound effects. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the only reason people tune in. That's all we got. Once we started with the soundboard, we, we actually had like at least five or six more listeners start listening <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> it's actually entertaining now. The word's out. Imagine that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. That's good. Bo Bobby, before we leave, like, I just want to reminisce a little bit. Like, of all the years that you you know, that you were involved with, whether it was wildlife obsession or dream season, or, you know, you've been helping us out for a long time. What, what was a favorite memory or something, you know, was there an experience or a story that kind of comes to mind? What was one of the, the most favorite things, good or bad that, that, that you can recall from those years? Well, you know, Matt, there's so many memories. Um, when we were doing the dream season, it seemed like that went on for 10 years and seemed like y'all had nine or 10 different producers of that show. That it would just wear somebody out and they would just snap and quit. And you are correct. <laughs> but there was one year and um, gosh, the, 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 the wrestler from Iowa. Tim Sylvia. Tim, and I can't think of Tim's last name. Sylvia. Sylvia. Yes. So the first time I went in there and said he was so big and he had tattoos everywhere and and these big sideburns. And I just thought he was going to be the toughest, meanest, you know. But after five minutes, I, he was the nicest guy. I've enjoyed enjoyed him so much. And since then, I would see him at shot shows and we we, we all, we've stayed in touch and talked. I was just. I was just blown away by he was not what I was expecting at all. Yeah, he's a big teddy bear actually. He's got a show of his own called Hit Squad Outdoors, I think, and he's he, he we stay in touch as well. He's a he's a one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. That yeah. being said, I've also seen him put several people to sleep at trade shows <laughs> who asked oh, for him to do that, which I never understood. And no. it takes like seconds. They put him in a chokehold and Why? they'd they'd go numb and he'd kind of gently put their body on the ground, take their wallet and walk away. <laughs> no, well, I've, yeah. I'm not going to, he just got married. So I'm gonna, not going to say what I've seen him take from one guy, but it was really good. Damn. <laughs> yeah. So, Hey, hey, Matt, there's one other thing. And I think about this all the time, but I can't remember what season it was, but when, um, David Lindsay had that buck, I think it was called Goliath. Oh, yeah. That was the most incredible footage that, I mean, it was, it's just like the ultimate deer and all that. And, and what I can remember is when we first started filming those, I was coming up there and going with you guys, it would be like, there would be one hunter during that season that killed a deer that would score over 170. Mm -hmm. And we, everybody would be like, wow, is that? And then the next year it was three hunters mm -hmm. or three bucks. And then the next year it was four. And by that 10th, Yep. season we were kind of numb to 
170 inch deer. I mean, everybody would seem like they were knocking down 170 inch deer. Yeah. That, uh, I think David's was, so it was, we called it David versus Goliath because he had an encounter with that deer Goliath and, and didn't get him killed. And, and then he killed baby G that was actually the season before they ever appeared on dream season. I believe their first year on dream season was dream season celebrity that season with Tim Sylvia, they were partners with Tim. And I think the reason why you remember it that way, it was on wildlife obsession that we used that hunt that you're talking okay. about. And, uh, David and Jeff, you know, which obviously they're still, you know, involved with, with gamekeepers and biologic Moss yoke, and we're still good friends with them. And, um, they, they just were unbelievable. The, the, level of talent and just footage and show stopping type moments that they brought to the table and uh they're just class acts but you're right it just like i feel like they brought everybody else's game up another level year after year after year and you know the, the the rest of the the Dream season cast really, I mean, they were all killing, like you said, some giants by then, by the end of the the tenure there of dream season. So it was just, the show got to a point where we felt like, what else can we do with it? We can't go anywhere else with it. And, you know, and then, you know, some of the, the teams started departing and, and doing their own thing and which, which, you know, is, is fine. It always kind of happens throughout the year. So you get used to that part of it, but it was like, you know what, I think maybe it's time to, to just, you know, put a pin in this one and, and, and start, start anew. And that's why we jumped into critical mass and, uh, tried something different there and stubbed our toe a little bit in season one. But I think season two and beyond, we kind of got back. It's kind of got a dream season type of flair to it a little bit, you know, where it's, you're following along with people's seasons and, and, um, seeing them jump state to state. And, you know, I think people just resonate with, with wanting to, dive into somebody's gear and see how they did sure, from start yeah. to finish. Not, you know, it's just different from Bo Madness or, you know, some of our other shows. It's like, okay, you get a, you get embedded with this cast and you kind of follow along with them for, for the full story. Yeah. yeah. But man, dream season, we had some fun years. I'll never forget dream season celebrity, the kind of riff that Tim Sylvia and Aaron Lewis had together. And it was all fun and ga- it was all tongue in cheek, fun and games, but uh-huh. you had two personalities that were very aggressive personalities would be a, a nice way to say it. And so they didn't back down from each other, mm-hmm. but I, I secretly, I feel like they were, you know, big fans of each other and, sure. and friends of each other, but, but, but <laughs> man, we got some really quality on screen and off screen comments and moments from that rivalry between those two guys. It was yeah. so good stuff you know so i think what it what it shows is when those guys started managing their properties and letting those younger deer walk because all of a sudden 140 inch deer wasn't what was needed and um you know they were having to let those 140 inch deer walk so that it could turn into a a grow another year or two and uh and so i i think it really shows that managing your property and food plots and being a selective harvest how it helps but one, another thing that I take away from that, no matter how big a deer everybody killed every year, Mark always killed the biggest. <laughs> M- M- not not on that show, but Mark would always have some just giant. He he he. You know, there'd be a picture that would come out, and here's Mark with the two twelve. Yeah, Mar- Mark's always on a different level. Fucking how that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's you know we always call him the mad scientist, and as you obviously know, and you you guys talk a lot about food plots and, you know, he gained a lot of his early knowledge there from Grant, Dr. Grant Woods, who was influ- influential in the beginning stages of biologic. And there's just so much that, that Mark and Terry have learned from you guys through the years. And now, you know, obviously in the last few years have, have kind of become their own, you know, they've mastered it, so to yep. speak. And, and they've helped, you know, a whole nother group of people learn how to plant food plots and food plot architecture and things that, that they learned from you and from Grant and, and they've really taken it and, and ran with it. And so we've we learned a lot from them. They, I mean, they are truly obsessed and go that, go that extra yard. I mean, I, 
your dad's got a fire truck that he waters his food plots when there's, there's droughts going on. Who else does that? Uh, that psycho. Another level. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he, you know, it was a drought condition one year. He's driving down the highway and he sees a fire department selling this old water truck, a tanker truck. And uh, so he thought goes on it. Well, and you know, to him, he was like, you know what, if I can buy this truck for a good price, it was in need of work. Mm -hmm. And he had the the means to be able to buy it. And and then that's a donation basically to the fire department to get something that they need. Sure. You you know what I mean? It was kind of a win-win. And then he, he uses that truck just about every year. They seem to get into drought conditions, but the one, of the downfalls of that he ciphers it out of his ponds he ended up killing like Oops. the fish in one of them because he had one year with drought was so bad he yeah, had to take sure. so much water out of it and it never bounced back so he had to restock the ponds and but but yeah it's i mean they take it to another level there's no doubt about that i got a 55 gallon blue barrel <laughs> with a spigot that i put on it so that's going to be my solution yeah. this year put it in the back of the pickup uh, last year <clears throat> we were worried about the drought and uh, we had planted that food plot, those food plots in the river. And he's like, well, why don't you just go from the river and get a pump? And, you know, and it was like, that's like 200 yards away from that one food flies. Like he didn't think twice about it. That's exactly what he would have yeah, done. We got lucky. Whatever it, it takes. It, it rained and we didn't need to do that. But like, he, he didn't think twice. He's like, yeah, you just, you get a pump, you, you put it out there. You got, you know, a couple hoses. You might need two, 300 feet. Says yeah. the civil engineer. Yeah. yeah. probably would have run barges would have run aground in the Mississippi River. He would have had his food plot. That's right. Yeah. But the food plot is green. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, man, we love you. We appreciate you jumping on. Is there anything, any parting shots that you want to leave us with? No, I, <laughs> I've enjoyed it. Your soundboard, uh, you, you know, it's, uh, you boys it's pretty not so much. I'm glad to see how you've matured in life. To a, to a point. <laughs> yeah, I just turned 40. Think about that. <laughs> Still love dirt and turd. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I, I, I do want to say how much uh, the Mossy Oak family appreciates and loves the Drury family. And there's just such great chemistry there. And there's such history there, rich, rich history. But, um, it, boy, it, it's it, it's just remarkable. And we, we have so much appreciation for what you guys do for our brands. And, and uh, we just can't thank you enough because it's genuine and authentic. You guys are the real deal. We, we love you guys. And it, it goes both ways. And I, it, it may be you, and you say, yeah, you're nay, thumbs up or thumbs down on this. But can we talk about that little project we're working on for Bass Pro and Cabela's or no? Yeah, it's going to be a while before it hits the stores. It'll probably be, um, uh, I'm going to say August, you know, right, right around August when they have their Bass Pro does their fall classic. But there, there will be a display with biologic and jury outdoors imagery branding uh, promoting a few you know special products that you guys ones that you guys like uh, that will be there available in the Bass Pro stores yes yep yep our favorite cool. our favorite blends so uh that's coming like you said August which not too far away a couple go. months yeah. out so keep an eye out for that and uh we appreciate all the support throughout the years you guys were the first to give us a chance to to produce a television show and and boy it's just gone like fire from there wildfire from there so thank you and uh anything you ever need from us you know where we're at yeah we appreciate y'all 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 are a lot of fun thank you for having me yeah yeah thanks for hopping on i appreciate it and uh, if folks would like to hunt with mark and terry still a chance to get your name in the hat to do that so just go to deercast go to the giveaway button and put your name in and uh we'll be drawing a name for that lucky hunt winner in late july and you'll be coming to hunt with us here in 2021 so good luck and uh till next time smell you later get those food plots in all right peace out DeerCast is giving you the chance to hunt with Mark and Terry Drury. Head over to DeerCast.com to enter.